Welcome to the Theological Touchpoints podcast. I'm Julian. The focus for this episode is Foundations, Theology for the Everyday Anabaptist. Is justification a biblical doctrine? As I've argued so far in this series, it's both an essential biblical doctrine and an essential gospel doctrine. By that I mean, not only is justification clearly taught in Scripture, it is clearly connected to salvation itself. A misunderstanding of justification is a misunderstanding of Scripture and of the gospel. As such, understanding justification correctly is imperative if we are going to believe and obey the gospel as God intends us to. This is the fourth episode of a series I'm doing on justification. While this episode may be helpful on its own, you'll benefit the most if you start several episodes back with the Justification Matters episode and move through them to this one. The Justification Matters episode is based on an article I wrote a few years ago, and it's essentially an introduction to the doctrine of justification and why it matters what we think about it. The next episode was entitled, Is Justification a Reformed Doctrine?, asking and answering the question of whether or not justification is uniquely a Reformed or Protestant doctrine, or whether or not it's an Anabaptist doctrine as well. We concluded in that episode that the Anabaptists believed in justification and believed something very similar to what the Reformed people believed about justification. The next episode, What Do the Anabaptists Believe About Justification?, was a continuation of the same discussion, looking specifically at quotes from early Anabaptists and trying to understand what is it that the Anabaptists believed about justification. Did they accept justification by grace through faith alone, or did they believe a doctrine different than the Reformers believed? And I've maintained so far through this series that justification is both an Anabaptist doctrine and a biblical doctrine. I've tried to deal with some objections along the way, and also deal with some of the nuances of the doctrine that the Bible gives that help us rightly understand this and keep us from drifting off into error. I believe justification by faith is a clearly taught biblical doctrine, but one that is not well understood by Anabaptists in general. This series is an attempt to give biblical explanations and a biblical definition of the doctrine of justification with the hopes that we as Anabaptist people can come to a better understanding of justification both as a biblical concept and as a concept that is essential to Christian life and essential to our relationship with God and essential to understanding redemption. I believe justification is, in many ways, the heart of the gospel— So just to review some of what we've talked about so far, we've defined justification as the Bible's way of answering the question, how can a sinner be reconciled to God? God in Scripture reveals how it is he reconciles sinners to himself, and he does that by making them righteous and by declaring them righteous. Justification is the declaration of God that we are righteous, and that righteousness comes to us in Christ. Justification is the doctrine that those who turn from self to Christ in faith are accounted righteous before God. God in grace accounts Christ's righteousness to believers, and Christ bears their sin. This episode is specifically focused on getting a better understanding of the doctrine of justification as it is presented in Scripture. To appreciate justification, we must first realize who we are, and where we are headed apart from Christ. 
To truly value justification and see its significance in the gospel, we need, first of all, to think through who we are and where we are headed apart from Christ and apart from justification. As we'll see as we work through different scriptures in this episode, without God's grace, we are justly condemned to eternal judgment, we are under divine wrath, we are alienated from God, in bondage to sin and Satan, and captive to our hearts, which prefer the darkness of sin to the light of Christ. So this will be more or less a Bible survey of the gospel with an eye to how the doctrine of justification fits into the whole gospel. So first of all, let's think together about our state apart from Christ. Who are we apart from Christ? What would be our experience and our destination apart from the grace that is ours in Christ? Scripture describes our state apart from Christ in various ways. I have five that I want to look at in this episode. It's beyond the scope here to be able to explore every aspect of biblical teaching regarding our sin and our state outside of Christ, but this is at least an introduction to some of the central biblical themes regarding our sin nature and who we are apart from Christ. So the first one we want to look at is that apart from Christ, we are in bondage to Satan. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 speaks of those who are blind to the light of Christ, and he says, these are those whose minds the God of this age has blinded. God of this age, speaking of Satan, and saying here that Satan has blinded, has covered the eyes of those who are in sin to keep them from seeing and savoring and receiving the gospel of Christ, the light of Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 2 also speaks of our bondage to Satan. The Apostle Paul here speaks of us as being dead in trespasses and sin, and then as he describes that, he says that those who are outside of Christ walk according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So 2 Corinthians 4 speaks of those who are in sin being blinded by Satan so they don't see and receive the truth. Ephesians 2 speaks of those who walk according to the prince of the power of the air. They do what he did. They rebel against Christ the same way he rebelled against God. And this is described as a bondage of following Satan and being blinded by Satan. So, first of all, our state apart from Christ, we are in bondage to Satan. Secondly, we are in bondage to sin. Romans 3 verse 9, the Apostle Paul here reaching the apex of his argument in describing sin and its universal effects on all of mankind, he says both Jews and Greeks are under sin, to be in the realm of sin, but to be captive to sin. That is, to live lives defined by sin, to be under judgment that's due sinners, and to to live in sin, in willful sin and rebellion against God. By nature, apart from Christ, we are in bondage to sin. John 8, 24, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, unless you believe that I am he, that I am the one sent by God, you will die in your sins. And Jesus is speaking here of being in sin and dying in sin, not only in the sense of once you come to Christ and you make a decision either for or against him, then you are either in Christ or in sin. But he assumes that they are already in sin, under sin, in the realm of sin, before they ever met him. And if they believe 
they will be freed from sin and the judgment that is coming on them because of their sin. If they don't believe, they will continue in sin, die in their sin, and experience the judgment due those who sin and rebel against God. This is a description of this is a description of the natural man who we are apart from Christ. We are in bondage to Satan, in bondage to sin. We third of all, we have a heart that prefers sin over righteousness. John 3 verse 19 speaks of the light coming into the world and men hate the light, they love the darkness rather than the light. He says John 3:19, this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Men by nature do what is evil, love what is evil, and when the light comes into the world, they hate the light because they love their sin. This is the description of the natural man. 2 Timothy 3 verse 4 speaks of those who love pleasure rather than loving God. Titus 3 3 describes the natural man, the sinful man. Paul says, We all were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. This again describes who we are apart from Christ, who we are by nature foolish, disobedient, deceived serving our passions, our lusts, and our pleasures, living in malice, hating other people, envious of other people, hateful and hating one another. So without the gospel, we have hearts that prefer sin, choose sin rather than choosing what is right. Fourth of all, apart from Christ, we are alienated from God. Ephesians 2.13 says we were once far off. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ, but without Christ, we are far off. Verse 12, he speaks of the Gentiles as those who are without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Romans 5 verse 10 says, we were enemies of God. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. So we're cut off from God, alienated from God, having no positive relationship with God. Rather, we are described as his enemies. This is seen very early on in scripture when Adam and Eve sin and are exiled from the garden. They cannot be in the garden, in fellowship with God, in relationship with God because of their sin. Sin is the barrier that keeps them from God. Their choice to do things their way and not God's, their rejection of his authority, choosing to live according to their own desires. This separated them from God. This alienated them from God. And all those who are children of Adam are born in the same state. Enemies of God, far off from him, alienated from him. So apart from Christ, we're in bondage to sin and Satan. We are in bondage to a heart that prefers sin over righteousness. We are alienated from God. And finally, our eternal destination without grace, without Christ, is judgment, the judgment of eternity in hell. We are headed for judgment, judgment we deserve because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God. Scripture clearly presents God as the judge, as the one who will determine in the end who is going to enter his presence in restored fellowship, 
in eternity and who it is who will enter into hell, into judgment, into eternal wrath. Abraham in Genesis 18 speaks to God as the judge of all the earth. 2 Timothy 4 verse 8 speaks of God as the righteous judge. Hebrews 12:23 says God is the judge of all. And James in James chapter 5 verse 9 says the judge is standing at the door that is judgment is coming soon. All of these speaking of God as the one who will in the end make a judgment for each and every person as to whether they will enter eternity with him or enter eternity in hell. God is the judge. We, outside of Christ, will not stand in the judgment. We, who are sinners by nature and by choice, earn condemnation and earn judgment for ourselves for our willful rebellion against God. According to Scripture, every person born of Adam is destined for eternal judgment unless God in his grace intervenes. We are sinners by nature, sinners by choice. That is, because we are children of Adam, we are born with a fallen nature, with a depraved nature. But it's not that we are just the victims. We choose to participate in this rebellion against God. This is true of every single person. By nature, We are rebels. By nature, we are God's enemies. Grace transforms that. But grace is grace because it's not deserved. What we deserve is condemnation. What God gives us is grace in Christ. According to Scripture, we are destined for eternal judgment unless God in His grace intervenes. We are children of wrath, Ephesians 2 verse 3 says, that speaking of our destination of being those who will experience wrath, and even now, if we're not in Christ, are under the wrath of God. Romans 5 says we are saved from wrath through Christ, and we understand from that also that without Christ, we are destined for wrath. This is what's coming for those who are outside of Christ, who refuse to believe and submit to Christ. John 3 verse 18 speaks of us as being condemned. He who believes in him and believes in Christ is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Notice the interesting language there. He doesn't make unbelief a condition for condemnation. That is, we are already condemned. Whether or not we are confronted with the gospel, we are already condemned. If we believe in Christ, we are saved from condemnation. If we believe in Christ, we are not condemned. But if we reject Christ, we remain condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. This is echoed later on in the same chapter, chapter 3, verse 36, where it says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. Now notice this, but the wrath of God abides on him or remains on him. It doesn't get there when we reject Christ. It remains. Those who do not believe remain under wrath. This wrath, again, is a deserved wrath because of a willful rebellion against God, a rebellion we all participate in as children of Adam, those under Satan, those under sin, those living according to their own passions. We are under God's wrath, a wrath we deserve because of our rebellion against him. 
God is the judge. We earn divine wrath, earn judgment for ourselves by our willful rebellion against him. So when God judges the earth, he will judge righteously. We, when judged according to this righteous standard, fall short. We deserve judgment. We deserve punishment. We deserve eternal wrath in hell. God, when he sits in his courtroom and judges at the end of the ages, has three options. When you walk before him or when I walk before him, God has three options for what to do with us. First of all, he could condemn us. Condemn us justly because we deserve condemnation. We who are sinners, we who are rebels, we who have done what is evil and wicked, which again includes all of us. There are different expressions of rebellion, some expressions in outright sin, other expressions in self-righteousness, which still denies, which still rejects the righteousness of God. We deserve judgment. What is God to do with us? His first option is to condemn us for our sin. This would be entirely just, fair, and right. The second option is he could compromise his justice and receive us as we are. This is, I think, how many people think of the gospel, think of salvation, that God doesn't have to maintain his just character. He can just forgive sin, forget about it, move on, and receive the sinner as they are without requiring any righteousness of the sinner. But this is actually a compromise of his justice, as is clearly taught in Scripture, especially Romans 3, which we're going to look at here a bit later. So he could condemn them, which would be right and just. He could compromise his justice and receive them as they are, which would be unjust to his own holy and righteous character. He would then be operating not as a just judge, but as an unjust judge, because he would not be punishing us according to our deeds according to our sins. He would be allowing sin to go unpunished. And that is both fundamentally unjust and inconsistent with God's own character as a righteous and holy and just God. The third option is to change the sinner into a righteous person so that he no longer deserves condemnation. So, first of all, God could condemn us for our sin, That's just, right, and fair. Secondly, he could compromise his justice, receive us as we are, which would be unfair to his own character. Or the third option is to change us into righteous people so that we no longer deserve condemnation. And this third option is what the gospel is about, and this third option specifically is what justification is about. God changing sinners into righteous people so that they no longer deserve condemnation. This third option is justification. This third option is the gospel. It's what redemption is all about. God rescuing us from our sin and from the judgment that is coming on those who don't believe in him and changing us into righteous people. And this includes, as we looked at previously, the grace of justification, a declared righteousness, the grace of sanctification, and applied righteousness, and the grace of glorification, a completed righteousness. Justification is forensic. It is accounted to us. Sanctification is experiential. Glorification is the completion of sanctification, where we are fully and finally made like Christ. 
So we've looked at these five things that are our state apart from Christ. We're in bondage to Satan, in bondage to sin. We have hearts that prefer sin over righteousness. We're alienated from God, and we are destined for condemnation. This is our state apart from Christ. Due to the amount of content, I'm splitting this into two episodes. We will look next time at how God redeems us from each of these and how justification is the hinge upon which all of redemption turns. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Touchpoints podcast. This podcast is a production of Sword and Trumpet Ministries. For more information, visit swordandtrumpet.org slash podcast or theologicaltouchpoints.com slash podcast. If you have thoughts or questions, you can contact us at podcast at theologicaltouchpoints.com. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it.